dig right in, dig back into it. This inside out series, we've been talking about the lifestyle of a believer here in our Sunday school lesson here this morning. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15 is where we're going to start. It's the concluding verse of this chapter. And Paul writing here to Timothy, he says, but women will be saved through childbearing, assuming they continue to live in faith, love, holiness, and modesty. Amen. We're going to pull this scripture apart just a little bit going forward, but I just want you to look at those four qualities, those four principles that he lays out there at the end of this verse as he points out these four principles of righteous living, these things that through them we will be saved. He says it's through faith, through love, through holiness, and through modesty. And those are four principles that we want to talk about here this morning for righteous living. And the first, he says, I want you to continue in faith. This is, uh, I believe, a uh, uh, instruction. Each of these is to continue in these things. To continue in faith, to continue in love, to continue in holiness, and to continue in modesty. And it's addressed, you'll notice it says that it's, he's, he's addressing this to the women. That's, that's the context of uh, what he is, uh, of this, this scripture right here. He's been addressing the women specifically. And so he addresses this scripture here is, is addressed to the women in the church. It's addressed to the women that Timothy is leading there as the pastor in Ephesus. But the expectation is not just that the women would would be saved and would follow after these things of faith, love, holiness, and modesty, but that these women, that the ones who would guide the house, that they would be the ones that would nurture these godly qualities in their children, whether male or female. That these things, these four principles of uh, of, of righteous living, that they would be something that would be instilled in the children, that, that as the women are the ones who are, who are guiding the house. We see that in 1 Timothy 5, 14. He says, I will therefore that the younger women marry, that they bear children, that they guide the house, that they give none occasion to the adversary to speak reproachfully. That, that it's, he's it, addressing the women because They play a crucial role. They play a crucial role in instilling some principles in their children. Amen. I'm I'm thankful myself. I'm thankful for a godly mother. I'm thankful for a mother who helped instill some godly principles in me as as a child. And and if you you are here today and you are instilling principles of, of godliness in your children, I want to commend you. I want to say thank you. For doing that, for these are things that they need to be passed from generation to generation. Amen. I don't know if anybody's awake today. Sounds a little quiet in here. These are things that they ought to be passed from generation to generation. There's a, there's a scripture, I don't have this one in our Bible study today, but scripture that says that 
the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church of God. Right? The gates of hell shall not prevail against the living church of God. And, and we, we like to, we like to preach that scripture. I like to preach that scripture and, and envision every force of the enemy and all of the things that, that hell would bring against us. Uh, and, and that none of it's going to prevail against the church. And while that is true, the reality is that scripture is really talking about the fact that this is not going to end with just one generation. That hell, this it's really talking about the resting place of the dead. That scripture is talking about the resting place of the dead. And he says, once this generation dies off, this is not going to end. Just, just this, uh, when, when Peter, when you die, when, when Paul dies, when, uh, when, when Matthew and, and Mark, when they pass away, this, Scripture here, this, this, uh, what the church is, uh, what it's being founded on, this is not going to stop. But this will be passed from generation to generation. Amen. It tells us in Proverbs, tells us in Proverbs that we ought to train up a child in the way that he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. Here's something interesting about Proverbs is that is that with these, they are, they are, um, principles or they are things that we can hold on to and they're promises. These are promises that we can hold on to. And I believe in this promise that when we instill things in our children and when we, when we train them up, when we, uh, when we teach them, uh, what it is, what it means to live for God at a young age, that there are things in their life that will not depart from them. That doesn't mean that they may not make their own choice and and uh, and go their own way at, at some point in their life. But there's something in them. There's something in them that they know. They know where I can find peace. They know where they can come. They know what the truth is. And and I believe that it is it is our a prerogative to train up children in the way that they should go. Second Timothy chapter one, verse five tells us that when I call, this is Paul and his greeting to Timothy. He says, when I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois, in thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that in thee also. I, I love seeing that because it's a generational thing, Right? He said, I, I see your faith, but that resembles something. When, when I see the faith that's in you, I, I also see the faith that was in your mother. And the faith of your grandmother. I, I, I see something that it's been passed down from Lois to Eunice. And now it's in you, Timothy. Because this is a generational thing. This is... This is something that we are expected to nurture these godly qualities in, in our children. And, and, and now I, I just want to get into what these principles of righteous living are. This first principle is that we ought to continue to live in faith. Continue to live in faith. The word faith, when we look at that in the original Greek, uh, 
the the word is pistes, and it is this word which means faithfulness. It's not just a faith uh, that that we see defined as the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, but rather this is more so a faithfulness, the character of faithfulness. It's an assurance. It's the it's the confidence that we have. It is it is the thing that we believe. It it's uh, I, I thought this was interesting that in the non biblical sense, this word Pisces, this word faith, it was often used to indicate a proof or a guarantee or a pledge, something that they would uh, put up as a pledge for something. And that's that's the definition. That's the uh, sense in which Paul uses this term uh, several times throughout this these two he writes two letters to Timothy, but it's in this meaning of a pledge of a proof, and he says, "I want you to continue to live being faithful. Continue to live with the proof of what God has done in your life." I, I don't I don't think that God saved you for you to just then go and, and to have no proof of what God did, right? God didn't redeem you so that then when you're walking through life, there is no proof of that redemption. But there ought to be a proof to it. There ought to be something that we remain faithful in, uh, faithful in our dedication, in our, in our walk with God. It's, we see in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, he says, Let a man so account of us as of the ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Okay? This is what we have been given. We've been given the mysteries of God. We've been, the, we're the stewards of this. He says, with that, moreover, it's required in stewards that a man be found faithful. This is a requirement. This is something that that we are called to and, and, and it's not a, uh, here one day, gone the next kind of a, a life. That's not the life of a Christian. Right? A life of a Christian is not, is not one that, uh, is, is fickle and, and you are standing on the, on the edge and walking on the edge all the time and one day you're in, one day you're out. But, uh, but in, in Revelation it says that if you are doing that, if you're lukewarm, God will spew you out of his mouth. He's not looking for somebody that's, that's just all living on the edge all the time. Not sure if they want to commit to this. God is looking for somebody who's committed. He's looking for somebody who is faithful. He's looking for a church that will continue to live in faith. I love the, uh, what, what Paul writes at the end of his, he's coming towards the end of his life here in his, his second letter to Timothy. He says in verse chapter 4, verses 7 and 8, he says, I fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not me only, but unto all them that also love his appearing. Amen. I have kept the faith. Come on, it's a fight sometimes to keep the faith, but it's worth it. 
I, I, I said it, the life of a Christian is not one that's fickle. That doesn't mean that there's going to be not going to be times in your life where it gets hard. It gets tough. But you get back up. You get back up because I'm faithful. Come on, I may fall, but I get back up because I'm faithful. I'm going to continue to live in faithfulness. I will keep the faith. I'm going to keep fighting the fight. And I may get, come on, a, a, a fighter in the boxing ring. He may get knocked down a couple times. But he's going to get back up and continue to keep fighting. I'm going to keep the faith. I fought a good fight. And I finished my course. I've kept the faith. Amen. And the, the Old Testament we see in Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 4. It says, behold, his soul, which is lifted up, is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. The just shall live by his faith. Or in the New Living Translation, it says that the righteous will live by their faithfulness to God. Amen. We are called. This is this is part of our uh, of our walk with God is a faithful walk. A faithful walk. First Timothy chapter five, verse 12, it describes to us what, what happens when we walk away or when we stop living faithfully. It says having damnation because they have cast off their first faith. They've walked away from their faithfulness. They've despised their faithful walk with God. And because of that, there is a consequence. There is, there is a, um, an end result that if they would have just remained faithful, then they could have inherited heaven. But because they didn't remain faithful, he says there is damnation that is waiting. Amen. We are all called to continue to live in faith. Principle number two of righteous living is that we would continue to live in love. Continue to live in love. The, the word... Perhaps you, you know this if you've uh, studied, studied New Testament scripture uh, very much. There are a couple different words that, a uh, couple different Greek words that are for love. The, the word that is interpreted love here in this, this scripture in 1 Timothy that we read is agape love. It says, I want you to continue to live in an affectionate regard or a benevolence toward others that are around you. It's as a, this is the kind of love that God shows us. A kind of love that's not expecting something in return. This is the kind of love that says, I, 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 I'm here for you whenever, whatever you need. I, whatever, uh, whatever you're going through that, that I am your brother in Christ or your sister in Christ. I'm here for you. Romans chapter 13, verse 8 through 10, it, it says, Oh, no man anything but to love one another. For he that loveth another has fulfilled the law. For this thou shalt not commit adultery. He starts mentioning some of these laws here. And he says, Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not bear false witness. Thou shalt not covet. If there be any other commandment, it's brief, briefly comprehended. In this saying, namely, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. It says all these other things. Don't kill somebody. Don't covet. Don't 
commit adultery, don't, don't do all these, these things. All that could just be summed up in this one little saying here. It says, love your neighbor as yourself. Come on, what a good commandment to live by. To love. Love, it worketh no ill to his neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Owe nothing to any man but to love them. Amen. What a debt we owe. That's a, that's a debt that we owe. He says we, we owe this to, to those that are around us that we would love one another. We ought to continue to live in love. In John chapter 15 verses 12 through 13 it says, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. And this is Jesus talking here. He says, this is my commandment. Love one another as I have loved you. Because greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. That's a pretty high expectation of love. But it is a sacrificial love. It is not self-serving. It is not, it is not about getting something in return for it, but the love that uh, that we ought to exhibit in our lives is the love that Christ had for us. It says, greater love is no man than this, that we would lay down our life for a friend, but that's exactly what Jesus Christ did for us. He laid down his life for us, but he did that as an example of the kind of love that we are to display and to continue to live in love. Amen. We're talking about the principles, these four principles of righteous living, to be faithful to God, to be remain faithful, to continue in love. And just like what we wrapped up with faithfulness, it also says about love as he's, as John is writing to the, uh, the churches in, in Revelation, he says, nevertheless, I have someone against you because you left your first love. Well, I don't want that to be said of me. That when God would, would look at me, that, that he'd say, you left your first love. Come on, what's my first love? My first love is the love that I had for Jesus Christ. Come on, if you remember that first time when, when Jesus saved you, when you had your sins washed away, how on fire you were for him, how burning that love and that desire was to, uh, to, to continue to, uh, to say, God, anything that you would ask of me, I, I'm yours. Come on, I don't want that to burn out. I don't want that to, to lessen. But, but let me hold on to that first love. It says, remember therefore from whence thou art fallen, repent. Do the first works or else I'll come quickly. I'll come unto thee quickly. I will remove a candlestick out of his place except thou repent. Amen. There maybe ought to be some repentance. If we, if you look in your life here today and you say, I'm not as on fire for God as I used to be. He says, come on, if that's the case, if you've left your first love, then I need you to get back on track. I need you to get back on track. Let's turn things around. Let's repent because we need to continue in love. Continue to live in love. Amen. Principle number three for righteous living is that we would continue to live in holiness. Continue to live in this holiness, which comes from this a Greek word, hagiasmos, which is a sanctification or a consecration. 
think this is a, uh, or this is a word that um, really we've been focusing on for these last several weeks as we look at, at holiness. But I just want to briefly, briefly look at one aspect of this here this morning. It says in, in Psalm chapter 29, verse 2, it instructs, instructs us that we should give unto the Lord the glory that's due to His name and that we should worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. I want to I look at this holiness and this aspect of worship. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8 through 10. This is, this is the same chapter that we began with. Just a few verses up. If you want to turn there. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. He says, I will therefore that men pray everywhere. Lifting up what kind of hands? Holy hands. Without wrath, without doubting. And in like manner also that women adorn themselves in modest apparel with shamefacedness and sobriety, not with broided hair, gold or pearls or costly array, but which becometh women professing godliness with good works. We're going to get to that second half here with this last principle that we would continue to live in modesty. But I want to focus here on that first part. This part is, is instructive of, of men, and that's not to say that it's exclusive to men, but he's instructing the men here that they ought to, they ought to lift up holy hands in worship, that they ought to pray everywhere, that they ought to do all this without wrath and without doubting. Uh, now when we, when you look at, at the, the struggles of men, at the, some common struggles of men, he, he lists two of them here. It's, it's wrath and doubting. It's, it's interesting when you, uh, look at studies of, across, uh, across America, I, I imagine this is, uh, similar across, across the globe that those, uh, who attend church the most, even though, even though it's a, about a 50-50 split population-wise uh, between men and women. Those who are in attendance at church is more women than it is men. It's just, it's just how it's, it's been that way for a long time. That's not the way that God designed it, though. And I, I'm thankful for, for every man that we have that is, is leading their household. And every man that we have that, that is in this place in our church, but, but the same is true here in our church. There's, uh, on average more women that attend than there are men that attend on a daily or on a, on a weekly basis. And another thing that we see is that, uh, is kind of accompanied with that is a lot of times the women are more more prone to be the ones who would be expressive in their praise and their worship. It's not always the case. I'm thankful that we have men and, and we have, we have several men in this, in our assembly that are expressive in their worship and they're not afraid to lift their hands. Amen. I'm thankful for that. But, but I would say it's, uh, it's, it's true for most men, especially if, uh, if you are, uh, coming in, uh, coming into the church and maybe you weren't, 
uh, or I don't know, you kind of got to have that macho kind of attitude. And you don't want, you, it you don't feel so macho when you start to lift up a hand. Or you, you see somebody up here praising the Lord. We're going to, well, I, we're going to praise the Lord and get in some, some time of worship here in a little bit. And, and you may look at somebody and you're like, I'm never going to do that. That is never going to be, be careful of those words. Cause I've heard many men that say those words. I'm never going to do that. And then God gets a hold of them. Come on. And that's exactly what they end up doing because come on. God's been so good to me. Amen. You don't know what God's done for me, but, and that's, if you see me doing that up here, just getting, come on, don't, don't mind me. Don't mind me. I, you can just, just let me be because God's done some stuff for me and I got to praise him for it. Amen. I'm not doing it for you. I'm doing it because God saved me. Amen. He deserves it. He deserves everything, all the praise that I can give him. Amen. But the reality is that, that it is a struggle for a lot of men. It's a struggle for a lot of men to uh, to come and to to lift up hands or to to pray and to be a, to be a leader in in that type of a way, but but this is exactly what what Paul is addressing here. He addresses this to men. He says we're gonna we're gonna address um, modesty and, and and some some other things with the women. He, he specifically addresses them in that. But for men, he says. He says, I want to make sure that you are praying and that you are lifting up holy hands, that you're doing this without anger, that you're doing this without doubt. What are we talking about with anger? Well, there's there's a struggle that some men have with anger, but well, we got to put down the anger. We got to let the love of God begin to do a work in our hearts, to do a work in our lives. I don't come on. That's, there's no place for anger. There's no place for this wrath and 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 lashing out that's that's not that's not befitting of somebody who god has come and he has saved them but what about this doubt thing say well i'm pretty confident i'm pretty confident in, in uh in my choices i'm not a man who doubts a lot that's actually kind of exactly it's it's exactly what he's talking about here you're confident in your decisions you're, you're, you're pretty confident in being the one who would, who would go and you would, uh, you, you would say, you know, this is the way it is. Because sometimes our human reasoning and our human, um, uh, instinct to say this is the way it is goes against the way that God says this is the way it is. And, and it leads to doubting this right here. Leads to doubting the things that God is doing. In, in the midst of us, and, and you begin to see and feel and, and experience the worship, and you say, I don't know about any of that. That's eh, not for me. None, no, none of that. We're, we're talking about doubting God. We're talking about the results of thinking. It's malicious reasoning. This is our opinion. This is something that's, it's, it's not, you know, it's not, I would say it's not um, natural for men to just give in and say, all right, God, Whatever you have for me today, God, whatever it is that you want from me, God, do it. And I'm going to give up, give up all my, uh, you know, give up control and give up all these things that I've been holding on to and trying to make sense of life. And I'm just going to hand over the reins to you. Because we doubt. You say, I, I got to, 
keep control of some things. But God says, when you come into my presence, Lord, when you come, if you are going to continue to live in holiness, I want you to worship me in the beauty of holiness, which means that you trust me, which means that you do it with, uh, with, without any doubt, without trying to think that I, I know the best way to do this. But you would come, come on, and that you would begin to lift up your holy hands and that you would lead your family in prayer, that you would be the one. If you're not here with your family, you just come and you praise me and you pray, begin to pray and you begin to worship. I, I, I heard this said, and I, I think I repeated this uh, soon after our, our family camp, our church camp this summer. But there was um, Brother, Brother Hoffman, Pastor Harold Hoffman, he, he mentioned this principle, and it's, it's just stuck with me. He says, as distinctive as the women ought to be in their dress and their adornment, the men ought to be just as distinct in their prayer and their worship. Right? There ought to be something about the prayer of the men. There ought to be something about the worship of the men that would say, I don't know what it is about that guy right there. I don't know what's gotten into him, but he sticks out to me. I, there's, there's something different about him and, and why. There, it, it, he, he's calling, um, he's calling a, uh, us men to to come and to begin to worship him in such a way that that it is so different from the thing from the way that this world would operate psalm chapter 24 verses 3 through 5 says who shall ascend into the hill of the lord who shall stand in his holy place he that has clean hands a pure heart, who hath not lifted up his soul unto vanity, nor sworn deceitfully, he shall receive the blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. The clean hands, the pure heart, these are synonymous sayings here, but this is what he's talking about, about lifting up holy hands. That we would worship him. And what's the blessing, what is it that we receive for that? He says that you will Inherit or you will receive the blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of your salvation. Amen. I want to continue, continue on here. and We're going to continue in that, that passage of 1 Timothy chapter 2. In looking at this last principle, is to continue to live in modesty. If we were reading that in the, the King James Version, the, the word that is, is used here. Um, from 1 Timothy 2, 15, was sobriety. It was to continue to live in sobriety. But uh, that word modesty or sobriety is this word, uh, Greek word sophrosine, uh, which is sound judgment. It's moderation. It's, it's modesty. When we're looking at these scriptures that came just before that in 1 Timothy 2, 8 through 10. And uh, in fact, if you could just put that back up. Yeah. It says, I will therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands, without wrath, without doubting. In like manner also that women adorn themselves in modest apparel, with shamefacedness and sobriety, not with broided hair, gold, or pearls, or costly array, but which becometh women professing godliness with good works. That word modest there that's, that's used is cosmios, which is 
a moderate and well-ordered, it's proper, it's respectable. And we see some biblical tenets all, through, all throughout Scripture for modesty in dress. And, and I want to just, just look at these as we close out here this morning. And, and uh, I want to say that, that these are things that I believe, if, if Scripture teaches them, that we ought to implement in our lives. We don't have a, uh, a certain dress code that, uh, that I say, you know, everybody in this church, you have to look this way, act this way, or else you can't be a member of this church. But I believe that we ought to look into Scripture and, and allow that to begin to, to shape the way that uh, even in our life may, may make us feel a little different. But that's okay, because God made me to be different. And here's some biblical tenets of modesty in dress that I just want to cover. Is the first, first of which is that clothes are intended to conceal and not to reveal. Right? They are the intention of clothes, and we see this from the very beginning when the very first clothes were made, and they were made by God. Well, I, I suppose really the, the first ones were made by. Adam and Eve, when they got the fig leaves and they covered themselves, and then God says that's not going to do. And so He made, uh, it says in uh, Genesis 3 21, that God made them uh, some clothes out of animal skin, and He says, Put that on. That'll do. That'll cover, cover your bodies. Now that you have sinned, there is, ever since that fall, ever since sin, there has been this, this, need to cover up our nakedness. There's shame in nakedness. That's scriptural. Honest, and, and the reality is, for generations, that was, that was societal as well. That there's shame in nakedness. Now, if you look at society today, you wouldn't necessarily see that. There's still some shame in nakedness, but, uh, but it, it's certainly gotten less and less and less. And you see that even more in the summer. That, that there's a whole lot less that, that is being concealed. But, but the reality is that, um, that clothes are intended to conceal and not to reveal. The second tenet that we could see from, uh, or in regards to modesty and dress is that moderation should be considered when purchasing clothing. And you say, that seems crazy. But it's addressed a couple times in Scripture. In 1 Timothy 2, 9, 1 Peter 3, Three through five, it, it speaks to us about the fact that you shouldn't be going and, and, and lavishly spending all this great amounts of money on your clothes to make yourself the one that you want to be the center of attention. That's, that's the, the tenet that we're talking about as far as modesty goes in dress is it's not about trying to be the center of attention. I want God to be the center of attention. It's not about everybody looking at me. Amen. I want, I want people to, uh, first of all, I, w- I want to be covered. First thing we talk about, but, but I also don't want to do it in a way that is, is kind of showing myself off and like, you know, I have, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm the one that I'm just going to blow all my money on, on this outfit here and to make sure that, that you know that, that I'm looking good and, and I'm not, I, that doesn't mean that we shouldn't look good. Right? And I, I want to say with this that moderation 
uh, when we're when we're speaking about money here, it's it's different for different people, right? People, different people have have different amounts of money in in the bank account, and what's moderate for one person is different from what's for another person. And we're we're just speaking about moderation. And I'm not setting some line to say you can't spend this amount of money on this or that or, because, because that's not, that's, that's not what we're trying to do here. But, but, but there ought to be some moderation when we are going and, and purchasing clothing and, 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 and the things that we would put on. It's not to draw all this attention to me, but rather I, I want to look good, but I don't, uh, I don't want it to be, um, I don't want it to be such that, that it's, it's, everybody's looking at me. All right, I better move on. Number three, the, that lust, this, this tenant, biblical tenant, number three, lust is sinful. And likewise, presenting oneself in such a way to provoke lust is sinful. We can see that. I'm not going to get into all the scriptures, but you can see that in scripture. We see that immodesty can appeal to vanity and pride in the one dressing immodestly. I'm going to say that again. Immodesty. So if you are dressing immodestly, if you are trying to put clothes, or if you are uh, dressing in such a way that the clothes are not concealing, but rather they are revealing, if you're doing that, uh, many times you're doing such because you're trying to appeal to vanity or pride. And dressing in such a way can then result in violating all three categories of sin in 1 John 2.16, which is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. We see all three of these things can be violated in the way that we would dress if we are dressing immodestly. And I know that I'm, I'm coming just forward and being frank as we're finishing up this Bible study this morning. But I, I want to uh, touch on these areas, these um, very applicable areas of modesty in the way that we ought to dress. We see that dressing immodestly can redefine the basis for attraction in the foundation for relationships. Amen. It, it shouldn't be that way. It shouldn't, we, we should, we're not dressing in such a way to seduce. It's, it's not the way that uh, we, we continue to live in modesty, but, uh, but rather we, we ought to uh, dress in such a way that, uh, that one will be attracted to us, but not because we are... Um, because of, of the way that we are dressing necessarily. Amen. Some practical guidelines. I just want to close, close here this morning with this. Some practical guidelines for modesty. And I, I just want to say that these are things here today. And, and I'm thankful for, for everyone who is, who is here with us. But these, these are some things that, that we have and that, um, that we have in place here at our church as far as anybody who would be used in ministry, used in different aspects of ministry, some guidelines, some things that I believe are scriptural in nature. And the one is that we would acknowledge God's desire for us to dress modestly. If there's modest attire, there must be immodest attire. We need to recognize that the world is not our standard. Most people likely do not intend, I'll say this, most people don't likely intend to dress provocatively. They just simply go along with the trends. And the reality is the trends are often provocative in nature. Another guideline, our desire 
should be to please God. And what God, what brings glory to you? And what is it that is pleasing to you? Is it, is it pleasing to God that I display my body in this way, in this form, this fashion? Is so Here's some, some special considerations that maybe we should have in regards to modesty. One that we see in, in Isaiah 47, it says that... In, God, he, he considers uncovering the thigh and the leg to be immodest. When we say that nakedness, you know, is, is shameful in, in Scripture, you know, what is nakedness? What defines that? And we at least see that uncovering the thigh, the leg is, is immodest. And we could look and do a whole deep dive on, on other areas, other aspects of that. We see that clothes should adequately cover your body. It's not exposing it in a way. It's 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 clothes, they, they should not accentuate all these all your curves and, and clothing. It's, it's gender specific. I want to say that. It's gender specific. It shouldn't be worn by opposite genders. You know, what, what would be one's motive for violating any of these principles? It's a good question to ask. Why would you want to, to display your figure? I, I, I want to, I don't know, I'm kind of ending this on, on, on a, something that kind of maybe hits you hard in such a way it's like, now, why, why do we need to get into the specifics? I want to get into the spe- specifics because God gets into the specifics right here. I want to get into the specifics of it because, because I want to live my life according to the principles for righteous living. I want to get into the specifics of, of what it means to live righteously because God gives us principles that they're, they're for me and they're for me to teach my children and then they can be passed down from generation to generation to generation amen i would that we would all today continue to live in faith that we would continue to live in love that we would continue to live in holiness and that we would continue to live in modesty here today amen as we close this out we're gonna this isn't we're not done here today but we're gonna come in into a time of worship here in just a moment but if you could just lift up your hands all around this place their children are coming back in from their Sunday school classes. Just lift up your hands. Amen. I just want to pray right now. Lord Jesus, Lord, I, I thank you, God, for your instructive word. And I'm so thankful that, that you uh, help us, God, to, to live in such a way that would give you glory. Lord, I pray that if there's anybody today that is trying to process some of these things that, uh, that, that we dove into today, Lord, that you would uh, just just let this, this word settle in our hearts, God, that we could uh, search out your scriptures, that we would search them, Lord, and, and uh, be studious ourselves, God, and finding out what you have to say. Lord, for you are right here to lead us and to guide us. Lord, I pray that you would just meet us here in this place today in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Praise God.